do think that periodically we ought to stop and think, you know, am I, have I got this right? Am I doing this right? Because it's important that we get this right. King David kicked this up a notch as far as I'm concerned. In Psalms 139, 23, and 24, listen to what David is praying. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, that's tough, right? I mean, it's tough enough when Paul is saying, examine yourselves. But David says, Lord, you examine me. Examine my heart. Look at what's going on inside me. See if there's anything wrong and fix it. You know, fix it. Fix it for me. So I want to talk about some of these things today. Three main points I kind of want to focus on a little bit this morning. And the first is, I think, I know I see in the world, but even in the church and in me, I see a lack of all of God. We're just not awed and amazed by God like I think we ought to be. Think about all that he's done, all that he has created, all of the miraculous things through the years. We ought to be blown away by this God that we serve. I want to try and make an impression on you by talking a little bit about one of my favorite things. I love talking about space and cosmos and all that stuff. But I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about the most powerful bomb that has ever been built by man, as far as we know. I hope it was. There was only one. Russia built one. They nicknamed it Tsar Bomba. That kind of means like the emperor or the king of bombs. They built this thing to be like the biggest bomb ever. I think it was 26 feet long. It weighed something like 30 tons. This thing was massive, and it was a nuclear bomb built on nuclear fusion. They detonated it. They made one and tested it, detonated it out in the ocean, away from land. And, in fact, they dropped it with parachutes, and they detonated it about 13 miles above the surface, above sea level, so way up in the air. Yet... This thing was picked up on sensors around the world, and instantly, a lot of people in a lot of places knew something that had happened. The fireball from this thing was about five miles wide and went up some 42 feet into the atmosphere. The shot waves from this thing were so bad that it shattered glass in windows in a village 480 miles away. That's a powerful explosion. That's further than from Columbia to Orlando, Florida. I think it's, if you drive it, it's something like 430 miles to Orlando. As the crow flies, it's probably 400 miles or something like that. They felt those shockwaves, and they were strong enough to shatter glass in buildings. This is a powerful, powerful bomb. The, the, the biggest thing anyone has ever exploded by far. I tell you that because that's nothing. The sun, our sun, that we're exposed to every day, generates enough energy that is equivalent to about 2 billion, with a B, czar bombas every single second. Can you imagine? Every single second the sun is pumping out that kind of energy. You know, only about point zero 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 one percent 
of the sun's total energy reaches Earth. I mean, you think about the sun's huge. It's a whole lot bigger than Earth, right? And it's generating this energy in all directions, just going everywhere. And just a little, the Earth's this little old planet way over here, just a teeny little bit of the energy that the sun is generating reaches the Earth. Yet, it's enough that one hour's worth of the sun's energy that hits the Earth can ge could generate the entire Earth's energy for one year, just one hour. The sun, if we could harness all of the energy that the sun sends to Earth that just hits our little old Earth, it's 10,000 times more than enough to generate the entire planet, to provide all the electricity for the entire planet. And that's just that teeny, teeny little point zero 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 one percent that actually hits the Earth. This is an amazing amount of energy that this one sun is producing. And we, we know, man, you walk outside, you live in South Carolina, you learn something about the sun, right? <laughs> Wait till about July, you know, and walk outside. Golly, feel that heat coming from the sun. Do you realize that the sun is some 92 million miles from the earth? And we're feeling that heat. And sometimes we feel too much of it here in South Carolina. It's amazing. That's one star, one star, our star, the sun, generating that kind of energy. Yet, in our galaxy, in the Milky Way galaxy alone, they estimate there's something like 100 billion stars. Not all of them just like the sun, but they're stars like the sun. There's kind of different sizes and shapes that kind of do different things. But 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And you know, that's nothing. It's still nothing. We still haven't even scratched the surface because the best estimates I can find today, they keep changing because they keep going up. Every time you look them up, they've gotten higher. The best estimates I've seen for today is that in our universe, in our observable universe, we have to use that word because we don't know what all's out there, but in our observable universe, they're estimating some two trillion galaxies like the Milky Way. That's remarkable. You know, the Milky Way, I mean, I'm a fan. I think it's pretty cool, but compared to other galaxies, it's just kind of average. It's not really small. It's not really big. It's just kind of average, you know, and it's just one of some two trillion galaxies in the universe, and it's filled with billions and billions of stars and just one of those little stars is our sun that provides all this energy. Our God did all of that. He did all of that. I want you to listen to what the scripture says. Psalms 33, I'm going to read verses 6 through 19. <clears throat> by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. That's the stars we assume they're talking about there. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage, 
the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war host war horse is a false hope for salvation and by its great might it cannot rescue behold the eye of the Lord is on all who fear him on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine it's all about God it's all about his awesomeness and his glory and you know we just kind of take it for granted, but you walk outside, you walk down the street, nobody's praising God. Nobody's worshiping. Nobody's going, God, this is amazing. Can you believe what God has done? Right? We would think it was weird, right, if we saw a guy on the street corner. Praise God. Man, worship God. Oh, he's so awesome. We would say, what's wrong with that? Or if we're walking in the park and we see somebody on their face in the grass, Lord, have mercy. Lord, praise you, bless you. We would think, has lost it. But that's backwards. That's backwards. The streets ought to be filled with people worshiping and glorifying and praising God. That ought not be a strange thing. I want you to be careful. That's, that's going to be kind of the gist or one of the main gists of my message today is we have to be careful. We can't let the world shape us and we certainly cannot let the world shape our worship and shape our praise and shape our behavior when it comes to serving our Lord and Savior. Because their idea is completely wrong. There's no amazement of God in the unsaved world. There's no awe. They're not walking around going, man, this is amazing. Did you see the sky last night? All the stars that God has created. Did you see? Look at those trees. That's so incredible. That is completely lost on the world, right? And it ought not be. And we can't let it be lost on us. We need to be amazed by God. We need to be awed by him. And, you know, one of the things that scares me, and I'm talking about me, talking about me, one of the things that scares me is I'm not naturally awed by God and all that he has done, but drive a brand-new red Lamborghini by now. Look at that, right? A nice designer leather jacket. What? Look at that, right? We all have these things, you know, and your, your taste is different than mine. But, man, we get our – it's not like it's not like it's impossible to amaze us, right? It's not like it's impossible to impress us or awe us, you know. We just go to the mall, man, and we're like, wow, man, look at this, look at – you know. And, and, again, talking about me, you know. The feats of God, they're all in the Bible. All incredible things that he has done. Just unbelievable, unimaginable things that you read about in his word. But let my team win a big game. Yeah! Y'all see my boys? Did you see that catch? Did you see that pass? Did you see that home run? Did you see that basket he hit at the last? That was amazing. Right? I'm pretty easily amazed. Except for some reason when it comes to God. That's messed up. That's messed up. And when I was apart from God, before I got saved, I never even gave it any thought. And I would have told you I believe in God. If you'd asked me, I said, yeah, I believe in God. 
I believe the Bible's true. I would have told you that. But you looked at me and said, you seem very impressed by it. You say you believe him, but you're not impressed. But again, let my football team do something, you know. Let me watch some sporting event and some guy's doing something incredible. Or as a musician, man, I had, you know, all the people that I just love. Man, that dude's the coolest dude. He's, he writes so good. He sings so good. He plays so good. All these things. I was easily impressed, except by God. Why is that, you know? What's wrong with us? It ought not be that way. And I don't want it to be lost on us, on his people. I want us to understand when we walk outside, it's the world out there. And that's not what shapes us. That's not what we're supposed to learn from. That's not what we're supposed to be like. We're supposed to be different. You know, These things ought not be lost on us. My next point <coughs> is similar, but... I think there's a problem in the fact that we don't have enough fear of God. Now, I know a lot of times when we talk about fear and we're talking in the church and about, you know, what the Bible says to us, that, that we, we're always saying, well, now, you know, this isn't like trembling, shaking fear. This is like a respect kind of thing. And I don't argue with that. I don't argue with that. But I want to make the point that our God is worthy to be feared. And I... I'm talking about fear, you know. And we see that in the scripture too. You remember when Isaiah said that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Y'all remember that? And then he goes on to explain how there was these angels flying around him, and they were shouting, holy, holy is the Lord. And he says there was smoke coming up, and the whole place was rattling and shaking like an earthquake. And he was terrified. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah, who wrote the book, Isaiah, that's in the Bible. That guy, he was terrified. He fell on his face and he cried, woe is me, I am undone. Now, this was a big, like, kind of curse back then. This is serious. Woe is me. I have no hope. I am undone. I'm a dead man. I am toast. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I don't know about you. But I don't think my unclean lips would be near the first thing that came to my mind. I've done a lot of bad stuff. I'm kind of impressed with Isaiah. I'm like, that's all you come up with, you know? This was a righteous dude, you know? This was a righteous guy before the Holy Spirit was given us to help us walk in righteousness. This was a righteous man. And here he is. I'm dead. I'm toast. There's no hope for me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And, of course, the angel had to come and touch coal to his lips and say, you know, it's all right, we're, we're, we're cleansing you, we're taking care of that, like Jesus has done for us, thank you, God. But he was terrified, okay? And that's appropriate. That's appropriate. I want you to think about the fact that the same God that created that sun I was talking about earlier and, and the hundred billion more in our galaxy and the two trillion more galaxies. How many stars are we up to now? <laughs> I have no idea, man. It's a big, big number, right? That same God created hell. And he's going to judge the world one day in righteousness. And he is going to remove all sin and all sinners 
save for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's fearful, you know. That's something worth being scared about. You, you read the Bible and see the things that is, God has done. The Bible calls him a God of wrath. I mean, there's times when he is just angry and he expresses it. He doesn't try to hide that in the scripture. He can be a God of wrath. This is the same God who destroyed the entire planet with a flood. Wiped off the face of the earth every li living being except for Noah and his family. Eight people off the entire planet. This is the same God that if you remember uh, Dathan and uh, the, what was his name? Um, Korah in the rebellion against Moses. He, these were his people. These are the children of Israel. He killed 15,000 of them right there. Just like that. This is the same God that when David was disobedient with the census thing, he sent a plague and killed 70,000 Israelites. 70,000. The same God. Now, again, I don't say these things because I want you to leave here in fear because as Christians, we don't have to have that kind of fear, but we need... See, the, the problem is, I think, that we're coming from a place of unbelievers where there is zero fear, no fear whatsoever. Now, if things were right while we were apart from Christ, before we got saved, we'd be terrified. I mean, we'd be terrified all the time, scared to death. When is God going to smite me? As unbelievers... If we were coming from that place, then maybe we could stand here and say, okay, guys, you don't, you don't really have to be scared like that anymore. I mean, Jesus is taking care of it. We got victory, you know. We can walk in confidence. But instead, we're coming from a place of, like, zero fear of God into a place where we need to understand a little something about who this God is and why he's a fearful God and why it's appropriate for us to have a certain amount of fear for him. I like to ask, <coughs> especially when I'm doing teen classes we talk a lot about Jesus I believe in talking about Jesus I'm not if I can help it I'm not going to waste an opportunity when I get a chance to speak without talking about Jesus and the gospel and salvation and I love to ask this question who does Jesus save us from and some smart kid will invariably say ourselves okay I like your answer I like where you're going that's okay but but, you know, you really don't have to worry about yourself too much. I don't know about you. I'm pretty easy on me, you know. I, I don't worry too much about me judging me or really giving myself a hard time or doing anything bad to me. I'm, I'm pretty good to me. What, why does Jesus need to save us from ourselves? Who is he saving us from? And a lot of times somebody says, the devil. I understand why you say that. But that's not right. The devil didn't create hell. The devil didn't create the lake of fire. The devil's not going to judge the world. The devil is not going to cast anybody into the lake of fire. God's going to do that. God has done that. Let me read you what the Bible says here. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, from the wrath of God. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now this is a wonderful passage. This is something to be excited about. That 
He's saying, look, there's wrath of God out there. It's very, very real. But Jesus has saved us from it. And not only did he do it on the cross, he's still doing it today. And he's going to do it in the future. And when we get to heaven, or when we get to that place of, of judgment, when, when the world is being judged, we're going to be guilty. I'm guilty. There's no way around that. I can't stand before God and say, I'm, not, I'm guilty, big time, guilty. But Jesus is going to say, yeah, but that one's mine. I've covered him with my blood. He belongs to me. That's an awesome thing. You know, the scripture talks at times in terms of salvation like something that happened. And then sometimes it talks about salvation about something that's ongoing. And other times it talks about salvation as something that is yet to come. I used to kind of puzzle about that. Well, which is it? Did I get saved? Am I being saved? Am I going to get saved? You know? And I, and I think all of that is correct. You know, one day, Jesus says, the whole world, all of mankind is going to be brought before me, separated into two groups, not three or four, two groups. You're going to be in one of those two groups. He calls them the sheep and the goats. The sheep are going to be ushered into eternal life with the Father, and the goats are going to be cast into the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his demons. That's the two choices. That's the two outcomes right there, those two things. And I imagine, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I imagine when I'm standing there on that day and, and maybe I can smell the sulfur from that lake of fire and I can feel that heat and I realize what I'm faced with for all eternity and my Savior says, that one's mine, you can bring him over here. That's going to be some kind of salvation right there, you know. <clears throat> I mean, my salvation now was remarkable to me when I got saved. It was an incredible thing for me. But that, whew, that's going to be something else. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. Imagine that. So what are you worried about that guy for? All he can do is kill you. You worried about a nuclear bomb? That's crazy. Why would you be worried about that? All it can do is kill you. You worried about a poisonous snake or spider or some awful plague? What? What's wrong with y'all? You shouldn't be worried about that. All they can do is kill you. And then he says, but I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. <laughs> you got to love Jesus, man. He's something. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's my daddy. That's right. That's right. That's right. What a statement, you know. What a statement. Why would you be scared of people that can only kill you? Hey, hey, y'all need to understand. You want to know who to fear? You want to have something to fear? Let me tell you. My daddy. You know, that's who you should fear. And when I think back of myself, in my, what I like to call my pre-Jesus days, I tell you, I shudder. I shudder. I cannot imagine why a righteous, just God would allow a fool like me, a rebellious, insolent, impetulant fool like me to survive, to go on. I rebelled against God in every way. I transgressed his word in almost every way. I ignored him. I defied him. 
It's amazing. And yet, God didn't just crush me and cast me into hell where I deserved to go. For some reason, he said, nope, that was mine. You know? Thank you, Jesus. You guys ever had, like, what I'm going to call like a near-death experience, like where something happens and you like, I almost just died. You ever been in a place like that? I remember one time, I, it's happened to me a few times. I remember one time it really sticks out in my mind when, when I was out undoubtedly doing things I shouldn't have been doing. I'm sure alcohol was involved. I don't remember all the details, but I have no doubt. <laughs> it's at night. It's on the weekend. I was drinking. I, no question. But I was out in the country. I lived out in the country, and I was out. I'm talking about in the middle of nowhere. It's out in the boondocks. And I was coming up to this crossroad that I went through many, many times. I was very familiar with it. And there's a little country store right there, a little teeny tiny store on the corner. And I mean, this is in the middle of nowhere. And once a year, the guy that owned the store, for whatever reason, he would throw a party. I, I, don't, I don't think I ever even went in the store, but I knew what it was. I knew the name of the store, and I knew the guy. I knew who the guy was that owned it. And I knew every year he has this party. And it was a big deal. People around there, I guess any party when you live out in the sticks is like a big deal. And so all these people would come to this party. And so I'm coming up to this intersection, and it's dark. There's cars everywhere. The guy's parking lot could hold like six cars. So there's cars all parked along the side of the road, this whole intersection, just people walking around, cars everywhere, you know. So I'm pulling up, and I pull up to the intersection, and I have the stop sign. So I come up and stop, and I look. And I see headlights of a car over here. But I thought that that car was on the side of the road parking. I thought it was just sitting still. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know why. So I look, and I go pulling on out into the intersection. And about the time I did, I realized that car is moving. And that car is moving. They were rolling. I didn't have time to do anything. By the time I looked up and realized I just you know, hit the brakes and froze, I could hear this guy's tires squealing. I'm not sure he ever touched his brake. I'm not sure he had time. I could hear his tires as he went around me and then went back into his lane. And he swerved so hard, I, heard, I hear him. And I'm sitting there, and two hubcaps come rolling past me. He swerved so hard that it popped two hubcaps off of his car. And I just sat there. I almost died. I mean, I almost died. This dude was in one of them big old, like some old Plymouth or something, you know, one of them big old heavy cars. If he'd have hit me, I just, just no question, he was, he was rolling. And man, when I think back on my life before Christ, if that guy had hit me that night, I'd been in hell, you know? And I think back to my time before Christ, all those years, like I'm walking on a thin sheet of glass, you know, and it's the only thing between me and the fires of hell is a thin little sheet of glass. I'm not just out there walking around, having a good old time, right? I'm like Bob Marley, you know, every little thing going to be all right, just dancing, having a good time, and it's worse than that. I'm like, look at me, God. What you got? I'm fine. Everything's good. Everything's cool. I got it all under control. I don't need you. I'm not worried about you. I don't sweat you. 
I'm going to switch your commands. Right? What a fool. What a fool. What a gracious, 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 merciful God. That kind of mercy just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. That's, that's not in me. I want to be a merciful guy. I mean, I'm, I believe I'm supposed to be. That's what the Bible tells us. I want to be a merciful, forgiving guy. I can't understand that kind of mercy. Not from a, a God like this. That God created me. Wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him fashioning me in my mother's womb and then to put up with that kind of foolishness from me. What an awesome God. Psalms 96 reads like this. Man, this stuff is all through the Bible. The hardest part of finding these kind of passages is just picking the one out that you want to use. This, this is the way, especially in the Psalms, man, this is just the way the Bible talks about God, and especially in the Psalms. Listen to this. I love this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord, the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. I'm sorry. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples in equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Why are we so excited and singing for joy before the Lord? For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. His glory is going to be seen when he judges this earth. It's all about the glory of God, your life, my life. All of this in the scripture, it's all about the glory of God. And when he judges the earth, people are going to be cast into the lake of fire, and it's going to be to his glory. The, the observers are going to say, that's justice. That's what a just God does right there. That's justice. Hallelujah. He's a just God. And when people are ushered into heaven, sinners like me, who don't deserve it in the least, people are going to say, that's mercy. Man, that's a merciful God. How incredible is he? And you see these two things kind of go together, right? Without true justice, there's not true mercy and vice versa. Brings me to my last point, and it is this, that I fear, we don't fear sin like we ought to. Now again, I'm assuming I'm talking to Christians here today, 
So I don't mean we're supposed to walk around trembling in fear of sin, okay? And we'll get to that. But I do think that we need a good understanding of just how dangerous sin is and have a good appreciation of how dangerous sin is and why it ought to be feared. You know, apart from Jesus, we ought to be scared of sin because it's, it's damning our souls to hell, right? But it doesn't seem to bother us a whole lot, you know? And for me, I mean, still today, I have this tendency to say, well, I mean, it's, it wasn't that bad. That was a little sin, wasn't it? Right? It's just kind of, that's where I'm coming from, from a place where everything I did was fine. I mean, you might be a sinner, but I'm all right. I'm a good person, right? God knows my heart, right? <laughs> I love to tell this story. I've probably told it here at some point before, so forgive me, but I love this story. I don't know if this is true, but it's still a cool story. There's this construction company, right? They're like, they do earth moving and excavating and all that kind of stuff, and they like build bridges or whatever. They're into that kind of stuff. They got a big quarry out behind their place, and they got all these huge pieces of equipment, big trucks and huge tractors and stuff like that. So they need a new, like, track hoe operator. This is a big old... It's got a big bucket, you know, and it's on tracks, really big piece of equipment, and they need a good, experienced operator. So the guy puts out an ad or whatever, help on and that kind of thing. He gets some applications. He goes through the applications. He comes up with three. These look like good candidates, look like three guys that would fit the bill. So he calls them in for an interview. Has each one of them come back. He takes the first one back, and he goes through his interview process, and at the end, he says, all right, Look out the window of my office right back over here. You can see the edge of our quarry. It's, it's a cliff. That drop right there is a straight drop of about 60 foot. Now, what I want to know is if you're operating our big crane, our track hoe, at the top of that cliff, how close can you get to the edge of that cliff and, and still safely work? Guy looks up. I've been doing this for a long time. I could get within about 10 feet of the edge of that cliff. That's 10 feet. 10 feet. All right, good. That's pretty impressive. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And he calls the next guy, and he goes through the same thing, does the same interview, asking the same thing. How close could you get to the edge of this cliff? And the guy says, I'll tell you what, I'm good at what I do. I've been doing this for a long time. I've got a lot of experience. I know how to handle that piece of equipment. I could get within five feet of the edge of that cliff. The guy says, five feet. Five feet. I can do it. i got no doubt I can do it. That's impressive. Thank you very much. Calls the last guy in. Goes through the whole thing. Gets to the end. Ask him, see the cliff? How close can you get to the edge of that? The guy said, I ain't getting anywhere near the edge of that cliff. And the owner says, you're hired. <laughs> that needs to be our attitude towards sin. I'm not getting anywhere near it. What you talking about? But you know how it is. You know how the devil whispers in your ear? You know how the world does? It's not that big a thing. Come on. Don't be ridiculous. It's just a little thing, right? I don't mean to say that some sins are not worse than other sins. I don't, I don't mean to say that at all. And I think uh, our judgment is going to depend somewhat on these sins we have committed. I think some are just, just worse than others. I don't pretend to, to understand all that, but that's not what I'm saying. But I do want to say, there's no such thing as a little sin. There's just no such thing. 
And, and if you don't believe me, think about this. God created the earth. He put Adam and Eve on the earth, put them in the garden, told them, have at it, have a good time. And they committed one sin that cursed the rest of mankind for the rest of history. One sin was bad enough that it brought all sin and death into the world. The scripture says that sin entered through the one man and through that sin, death entered. All of creation from that time onward. And what did they do? They ate a piece of fruit. How many times have you eaten something your mom or daddy told you not to eat, you know? How many times? We it's not that big a deal, right? But they disobeyed God. That's the point. God has set his law, and he said, this is the way things are supposed to be. And that's it. And when we transgress that, we have separated ourselves from God. There's no small sin. It's deadly. It's dangerous. It's toxic. I wish I looked at sin kind of like I look at roaches. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Them big old palmetto bugs, nasty roaches. I hate them things. I'll pick up a snake in a minute. Snakes don't bother me. I don't like spiders. I don't want them on me, but I'm kind of cool with spiders. They're all right, but don't bring a roach around me. I, I can't stand it. And one to get on me, I'm liable to have a running fit. I'll, I'll embarrass myself. I don't like those things. I want it all for me, right? Y'all ever seen, like, one of those movies or a show or something where they're, like, exploring somewhere? Maybe they're in a cave or they're in an old house, cobwebs and stuff. And somebody goes, hey, what's that? And they shine the light and they got stuff crawling all over. And they freak out. Get that. Right? I wish I felt that way about sin. You know, that's, ah, that sin touched me, man. Great day. I almost stepped in that sin. That's a pile of sin right there. Lord, whoo, that was close. Huh? Get away, right? But we, we don't feel that way, you know? What's wrong with us? It's enough to curse all of mankind. And again, I'm not saying we should walk around in fear of sin. But we ought to have a, a, a healthy, fearful kind of attitude towards sin. So, my point, well, one of them anyway, is that in many ways we just can't help it. We're shaped by the world. It's what we've grown up in. There's really not too much we can do about that, especially apart from Christ. There's nothing we can do about that. Yet the scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's impossible for us to not be conformed to this world. We're going to be conformed by the world that we grow up in. There's only one way out of that, and that is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to ask Jesus Christ to do something for us. We have to ask him to change us. We have to ask him to send his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to, to fix us. There's something wrong with us. And we need him to fix it. I love what Miss Sherry had to say last week about how the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, 
I'm the great physician. I'm the healer. I'm the detoxifier. I love that, man. That's, that's a great description of the Holy Spirit. I'm the detoxifier. And I want to tell you guys, we need to be detoxified. And I don't think it's something that just happens one time. I think it's an ongoing thing. I think we need to have an attitude that we need the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, searching our hearts, seeing what he can find wrong with us, and cleansing us. But take heart, Christians. Take heart, people of God. Because if you're like me and you feel like I've done awful things, that I've sinned horribly, and there's no reason for God to show his love and mercy to me. That's the kind of God we serve. I want you to hear what the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't walk in defeat. We don't have to walk in fear. I want us to have the proper outlook and the proper understanding but it's not about walking around in fear we've been given victory but I want you to understand you've been given a huge huge victory and knowing something about your enemy really helps you to appreciate the victory you know when when Carolina beats some you know I don't know bold dunk sister Mary's school of the deaf and blind or something like that in the football game I'm like, okay that's all right whatever I'm glad they won whatever but we went to Tuscaloosa and took on number one, Alabama, undefeated, hadn't been beaten in three years, reigning national championship, and we beat them. Man, I'm going to be strutting, you know. The victory we've been given over sin does not compare. It's so much greater than that. Your enemy is huge, and he is powerful, and he is deadly, and he hates you, and he wants to destroy you, and you have been given the victory over that enemy. I want to close with this scripture. This is, again, Jesus talking. This is in Luke 10, 19 and 20. Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, that's awesome. That's worth being excited about. That's worth rejoicing and celebrating, right? But listen to what he says next. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. That's even a bigger deal, right? <laughs> Jesus said, you've been given the authority, you've been given the strength, you've been given the victory over sin, over all the powers of the enemy. And he says, but that's not really even worth getting excited about. Your names are written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. That's worth rejoicing about. Hallelujah. I'm done, Pastor. Thank you guys so much. I love y'all. Appreciate you.